All right, guys, welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. We got another special guest that is uh, here in the Fort Wayne area. Do you still live in Fort Wayne? Uh, New Haven. Oh, okay. Basically, Fort Wayne. It's a nice house. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we got another Fort Wayneian here with us today. Tony's going to introduce him. This is Adam Gehrig. He uh, has been known as a realtor and a real estate investor here in the Fort Wayne area. He has uh, a lot of rentals and, and his personal name and some company names. Um, also, on the side, he sells salt through uh, Mid-America Salt. Um, we're going to talk to him a little bit about how that company got started and who all's involved in that. Uh, he also used to own a property management company. He has his managing broker's license, and he's licensed with Century 21 Bradley. Uh, this is a friend of ours, a mentor of ours. We used to call him all the time, bug crap out of him, <laughs> ask him all kinds of questions, real estate questions about stuff, and he would give us great advice. Uh, Adam Gehrig. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I, I got to say something to start off. I got to tell the story. I think I told you this actually uh, here recently, but when we first met Adam, it was when uh, Tony, Logan, and I all just first started getting into real estate. And there was this deal. I tried to buy that deal. Now I'm like, that was a freaking steal. It was like a, a five unit, a f another five unit, a duplex, a triplex, and then like something else all right next to each other. And like the guy wanted like 120,000. And it was on High Street in 08. Um, it was, I mean, some of the properties were very, very, very rough. It would have been a big one to take on. But we were just bugging the crap out of Adam for that. And uh, we didn't have the money at the time. So I'm like, well, this guy do seller financing. And like now, like looking back and realizing like we were newbies, we haven't done anything. And then we're like wanting to take on some massive deals. Adam kept not getting back to us. And we were very upset with him. Like, we're never going to talk to this guy again, ever. And then we found out that he's actually a pretty cool guy. <laughs> yeah, that happens from time to time. You, uh, you run into a lot of people in your real estate endeavors and you... Sometimes uh, find the good ones and find the bad ones, and sometimes the bad ones aren't as bad as you yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah, but that was our initial experience with you. It was like, oh, man, this guy doesn't get back. And I was like, well, maybe he's just super busy or something. And then we're like, yeah, I think it was just that we were newbies. Well, and I think that part part of that deal was uh, that the owner of the property management company that owned that at the time didn't want to play, play ball. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So. <laughs> So Adam grew up uh, not too far away from here uh, in Auburn. I went to DeKalb High School. Um, then he got into college. What what made you decide to go to college? And then you studied business finance at, at St. Francis. Yep. Yep. What, what made you decide to go to college? And then what led to you getting into real estate investing? Well, my decision to go to college was pretty much chosen for me. I mean... My whole family has been to college, and, you know, that was always the route that, you know, you look, most people's paths are you go to high school and then you go to college. And, you know, now I have kids of myself, and I don't know that I'd push them that route unless that's what they want to do. Um, but as far as real estate, getting into real estate, the whole reason I got into real estate was because of my dad. Um, he was a broker up in Auburn um, with Weibel Realty, and I can just remember, you know, when I was little going, you know, his schedule was obviously not a typical nine to five being a real estate agent. So it was, you know, going to the real estate office and all the agents being around and, you know, eating candy and donuts and all that stuff, uh, being around, just being around that environment and knowing that, you know, 
when I got to high school and graduated high school, I knew that was something that I wanted at least to put in my, I guess, my repertoire mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, um, do that or have that as an asset or an income stream for me if I chose to go that route. And after college, uh, you know, the pieces kind of just all fell together to push me towards that. Didn't really know what I was going to do, but uh, it's really just timing and people coming into your life at the right time at the right moment. And, uh, you know, Jay Redding was that person for me. So, so you got, you got an internship. Um, did you get that at the tail end of college, like in the middle of college? And then, uh, what did that mentorship look like or that you were doing work for him for free Mm -hmm. and he was providing you with knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, uh, you transitioned into being paid, right? Yeah. So actually, I mean, as luck would have it, like the stipulations at St. Francis were that like every senior at that point, you had to do an internship like your last semester of college. And so that was part of like me being able to graduate and part of my business class, Jay came and spoke at, um, he had just, you know, left his corporate job. And we actually spoke about this last night. He had left his corporate job, had the corporate handcuffs, the, the golden handcuffs, as he calls it. Um, and had to start over at 45 years old with, you know, being in corporate America and then going to real estate is a pretty big jump, you know, leap of faith. Um, He came and talked about what he was doing, you know, flipping houses and had some rentals. And I was like, man, this guy, this guy's doing stuff that I want to do. And so I approached my teacher after it wasn't even 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 anything that Jay was even offering. Uh, And I approached my my teacher and said, hey, you know, I really would like to see if maybe he would do an internship. So he gave me Jay's cell phone number and called Jay and, you know, the rest is history. Jay, you know, kind of created a, a, he wasn't anticipating that, but, you know, my senior project was flipping a house. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually the very first house I, f- well, so to say flip, uh, it's actually on Riverside Avenue. So it's right down the road from here. Um, and it was a good, great learning experience. You know, you see the HGTV shows and it's oh you know flip this house and everybody you know makes it so easy but at the end of the day the bottom of the market dropped out we flipped the house flipped the house to where we couldn't really make any money flipping it so I turned it into a rental and that's kind of what led me towards acquiring more rentals because it was like man this is this is awesome you know I pay 300 bucks a month and I'm making 700 bucks a month and after expenses you know I'm walking away with a little bit and they're paying down my principal and uh, I was like, man, I'd like to rinse and repeat. And that's kind of what got pushed me towards towards doing that. So, wow. So yeah. so the question is, then, do you think that you'd be the businessman that you are today without going to college? I think I would be I don't think it's necessarily to go to college. I wouldn't change. Uh, we talked about this last night. I wouldn't change any of the life experiences that I've had um, because, number one, I played sports. So I made a lot of good friends and had a lot of experiences that I wouldn't have had had I gone to college. Um, but I also think that I'd probably be, you know, a few years ahead if I would have went straight into real estate straight from high school as opposed to, you know. It's funny when you talk to people that, number one, I think the, the, the statistics are if you go to college, you typically change your major like once or twice uh, while you're there. Um and then I, you know, get a business finance degree and, you know, like, what am I doing with my business finance degree? Not really a whole lot, you know, I'm doing my own, doing my own thing. 
Um, and so it works for some people, but for me, it's like the stuff that I learned from the books and all that stuff wasn't as, wasn't as valuable. Like what Jay did and came and speaking to my class about his background and his knowledge was a lot more, um, I guess, valuable to me than anything I learned from sitting and reading a book and filling, doing a test or, you know, trying to memorize anything. So is that, is that pretty typical to have a speaker like that come in? Cause I've never, I've never heard of anybody like that coming in. That was, that was really like, that class was like a one-year-old class. Um, and the guy that came from there had came from Taylor university university. I think is, uh, I still have it. I still have his contact information. Alan, uh, he's actually a professor. He actually went back to, um, he's at, oh, Beth, Bethel, or I think Bethel College now. Um, but it was a brand new program. So he pretty much had a like open book as far as how he wanted to structure it. And his whole class was like, we went to like SDI and wow. walked SDI and did a tour there. We went to a bunch of different businesses and actually just had business owners coming in and like speaking to our class about their, I guess their path that they took and um, how they got there and things that they would change, which I think is a ton more valuable, like I said, than trying to learn, you know, calculus or philosophy or, you know, yeah. anything else that you're going to learn in there. Like life experience teaches you a lot more than, you know, two plus two equals four type deal. I mean, you yeah. still need to know that stuff, but. Yeah, so Did you have anything like that in your college? Well, I was going to say, it's funny because it's like, uh, the, the guy, well, there was a guy that came in who, and he did entrepreneurial thinking, but it was like a one-year-old class as well. So it's never included as part of the curriculum. You know, it's not part of your liberal arts degree. That's decided that it's something that you need like mm -hmm. philosophy or sociology or psychology, like all those classes. It's like, you absolutely have to take these, right? but, um, it's like something that gets added in later. And then usually it's one of the first things to get cut, you know, when right. they decide like, well, we don't have as much money. We have to keep, you know, some sort of thing that starts with whatever and then ends with studies, if you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I was going to ask you about college too. Um, it looked like you had a lot of fun. It looked like you partied a little bit. Oh yeah. And I got a picture here. Uh, <laughs> that's you, actually from Atlanta. <laughs> oh yeah. I think yeah. that, is that just like a mesh shirt? That's, that's not yeah. even a real that's shirt, MC right? Hammer. That's an MC hammer outfit. I think I had the hammer pants and everything. In that nice. <laughs> So, uh, I was going to ask you, you still, uh, like you still have this like broness about you. Like yeah. you're still pretty like chill, laid back. You're like, Oh yeah, Adam, Adam's super cool. Like, uh, people would still want to sit down and have a drink with you or party or whatever. Yep. Uh, when do you think that people grow up? Like what, what age or like when? I think, I mean, it really depends for me. It was, you know, it was after I got out of college because, you know, it was like, well, now you got to get a real job, you know, being in school, it was like, you have your classes, you have your sports obligations and then your free times, your free time. So it was, you know, usually party or play video games with buddies that would come over to the house. Um, but I mean, I think some obviously life circumstance changes for a lot of people. So, you know, people that don't decide to go to college and, you know, they have to go straight into the workforce or, or mom and dad aren't going to let you stay at your house. They have to grow up a whole lot quicker than, you know, I was, you know, I was fortunate. My parents were very supportive of what I did and obviously, you know, supported me financially while I was going through college as well, because it's not like, you know, between school and sports and all that, I didn't have time to have a full-time job to, to do all that. And actually, luckily, 
the house that I bought, I had two other buddies of mine that were on the basketball team with me. So they were paying my mortgage. So that's kind of another way that I got into like, well, this is pretty cool. You know, you, you get a couple buddies in here, they're paying for the house and I just get to live here for free basically, you know? So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you gotta, I'm always, I'm, I'm at least a firm believer. And I think everybody's personality is different. Some people aren't extroverted and aren't going to be the, you know, life of the party type deal. Um, but I mean, for me, it was like 22, 23. Once I'm out of college, it's like, it's time to grow up and get a job. And yep. You, you made me think of another question. Uh, when you talked about like your, your buddies paying your rent. So uh, me and Mr. Jay wild uh, were talking yesterday and like, there's apparently like this uh, group of tenants that are like fighting against like landlords in Fort Wayne. And he was trying to get in the group and anything. Anyway, uh, they were talking about like how landlords are just like leeches off of people and like sucking off. So basically like you were just like, you know, taking your friend's money and stuff. Yep. What would you say to like, uh, like that? Cause I know you have other rentals as well, but that's right. how you got started. It's like, oh, you're taking money from your friends and like you're leeching off of them and yep. stuff. Like, uh, have you thought through that or like seen other people make that argument before? Oh, I've definitely seen people make that argument. Just go on Facebook. You'll be able to find about anything yeah. you want. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's a situation where it's like those people that have those type of opinions or whatever, you're not going to change their mind at the end of the day. It is their opinion. But for me, it's like my buddies that were, you know, if they had lived in the dorms, they would have been paying $4,500 a year to live in the dorms for nine months out of the year. You know, the, the 350 that I was charging them for a full house a month, you know, that included everything that, I mean, they actually ended up saving money because of right. that. And that's why they chose to live with me as opposed to live on campus. Well, plus you can't really party on campus. So <laughs> if, you, if you live off campus, you can do whatever you want. Yep. That's awesome. What, what, what do you think about that, Tony? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, just people in general, when they see somebody doing better than them, they have to come up with reasons why they can't, what, like why it's not acceptable. Like I think people have a problem with money and other people making money. You know, you see like billionaires all the time, like Elon Musk, like getting crapped on by people and yep. uh, Grant Cardone getting crapped on by people and like people who actually provide a lot of value to society getting crapped on. And then I look at like the issues that we've got with, our economy and our government and that sort of thing. And I feel like it's primarily government spending, <laughs> which we can get into an entire political oh, discussion yeah. about that. But yeah. let's uh, go, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say the one thing that I thought about uh, that Jordan and I talked about was just that uh, like employees, it's the same thing. It's like the uh, employer is living off of those employees labor at that point. So like, it's always other people that are providing services for other people. That's like saying that if you're a nail tech or whatever, that now you're sucking the, uh, you know, the, you should be doing it for free because yeah, yeah. cause you're doing them a service yeah. or whatever. It's the same thing with housing. It's not like you're taking anything from them. you're providing a service that they can choose whether or not they want to use that service. Yep. Those people didn't have to stay with you. Yep. They could have been like, nah, I'm gonna stay in the dorms and, uh, they yep. decided to stay with you. So, yep. I mean, yeah. you can go on any of the listings in our group or Facebook marketplace or whatever. And it's just, that's why I like, I, as much as possible, like I'll post something funny every once in a while, but like, I hardly 
now like hardly post anything to Facebook, hardly post anything to Instagram or any of the other channels because it's just like there's so much, you know, energy yeah. that that people for whatever reason choose to be they choose that. They choose mm -hmm. to be negative as opposed to just and the other thing is like if you have an opinion that's great, but like you don't have to like like I can still have my opinion about political stuff or whatever and that's just my opinion. I don't have to like what I what I believe and what somebody else's believe. No, there's no right or wrong necessarily, but um, you're you're you know entitled to your opinion. And for someone to just be like, "Oh no, you're wrong," or that property should never rent for that right. in New Haven, or you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, that's your opinion. We still rented it, just so you know. But right? Like, yeah, yeah. Everybody always says that. They're like, you will never rent it for that amount. I'm like, it's gonna be rented in less than a week, right. guys. Like, yep. it will be. Yep. Based on somebody else's decision to do it. Yep. Like, it's not like we force anybody in there. It's very interesting that, yep. yeah, people, like, are, it's like not like we're taking people, shoving them in the house and, like, freaking lock them in there. Like, you're going to pay us right. 1200 a month. <laughs> right. Like, that's what they treat it right. like, though. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting. Yeah. But. I think that, like, people are frustrated in general just based on the fact, that, like, uh, with wages and whatnot, it's like, it, it is difficult to, like, work 40 hours a week and then not have to work more than 40 hours a week and like still get everything that you need and then a few things that you want as well. So I think that that's discouraging to people. And, uh, you know, there's an abundance, like we're in the United States where there's an abundance of resources and things like that. It's like the disparity. I, I've heard that when the disparity between the, uh, the poor and the rich gets further apart, then it tends to like lean itself into civil war or something like that. When you see somebody doing extraordinarily well and you see someone that's like barely getting by, then there's more uh, animosity between the two, two groups. But I think that the underlying causes that people perceive is that like, hey, my neighbor is doing better than me because he has rental properties. So I need to like make sure that he's suffering, <laughs> right? Right. Versus like looking at the uh, the mechanisms that are creating the dysfunction in the system, or shooting them down, or saying like that, like not even just like neighbor, but like families, mm -hmm. you know, or huge. Like anytime you try to do better or do something, there's always going to be that person that's going to have something negative to say because they don't, because they're not willing to do it. They want you to feel like you, you know, you shouldn't do that or you're not doing the right thing by trying to pursue it. And I think that, you know, part of what this economy, I mean, it's just made a lot of people lazy. You know, they have more time on their hand because they're allowed to sit at home or they're allowed to, you know, get more money from the from the government for doing nothing. And what it's created is, like you say, wages are, wages are going up. Like, I just heard Parkview's hiring like 300 more traveling nurses. And it's like, all these people are making like, 40, 50, $60 an hour for a job that was $30 an hour a year ago. Well, not, and it's like, yeah. that's going to catch up eventually to somewhere. And then eventually what happens is when the economy goes back to where it's supposed to be, are those same people that are pay getting paid $60 an hour going to be willing to go back to work for 30? Right. Well, not just that. I heard they're getting paid like 60 and then plus time and a half and then plus like, so it's usually time and a half plus 20 or 30. Mm -hmm. Like they're getting paid like, hundred to like it's stupid money yep. like stupid i'm like oh my gosh yeah yep. we already have a screwed up healthcare system and it's about to get even more screwed up true so. it's not for profit though dude don't oh yeah yeah, yeah. don't All worry for about you. it not for, for profit you. yeah for you. <laughs> some of some of them are <laughs>
So uh, I want to go back. Let's talk about AG Rentals a little bit. Yep. What did that look like? What were some of the early struggles of you getting started as a real estate investor? What were some of the early struggles of like getting AG Rentals started? How did that come to fruition? Yeah. So when, when was it too? Uh, well, it all started. So there's there's been m- multiple instances of property management and what I've done from the start. So my family up in Auburn built some senior uh, senior villas back in man, like 2000, probably 2000, uh, probably started them in like 2008, I think. And so when I graduated college, part of what I did in coming back, I already had my real estate license was I was managing those villas, which is, um, you know, section 42 housing, which if you're not familiar with it, it's like super, super intense as far as like, like when you look at property management and you're just leasing a property, like it's super easy compared to what I did because I had to verify assets. I had to verify stocks, bank accounts. I mean, all these people were getting subsidized rent from the government um, for this community because it was a low-income community. So it was just super, super intense. Um, and I did that for a couple years. And it was like, you know, it's cool, but if I'm going to do this, like, I don't want to have to jump through all those hoops. And honestly, what got me started in the property management was it, it was – it was super, super, again, like being at the right place at the right time. Like I had a few rentals, was living in Auburn uh, at that point uh, where the senior community was and uh, decided to start my own property management company, which was Garrick Property Management. I think I had my pro- a few of my properties and um, as luck would have it, one of the biggest real estate companies in Auburn at that point in time. I don't even know if they're still around. Um, told their uh, property manager, uh, Tammy Tammy Jones, Tammy mm-hmm. Fluke, I think it's Tammy Jones now, uh, that, and she was running that, that 60 days, all, all, we're no longer doing property management. You have 60 days to tell all your clients you're no longer doing this. How many so, did they manage? Uh, it was, at that point, I think it was like 100, and, it ended up being like over 100 units that I got just from them, I guess, being at the right spot at the right time, because I still had that good relationship with her. And, you know, she basically had said, they're making me close this. Here's who's leaving, basically. And I ended up with, you know, a bunch of properties to manage in Kendallville and Auburn. And um, yeah, it was mostly Kendallville and Auburn. What year was this? 2000, I think like 2011. Okay. Um, So I did that for a couple of years up in Auburn. And I was coaching uh, women's college basketball at that point at St. Francis. So, you know, young, single, um, didn't have kids. So it was, it was, you know, driving down here to go to practice, getting home late, managing the properties during the day. And then eventually just got to the point where I was like, I'm down here every single day. This makes no sense. So, uh, moved down here. I think it was like 2013 ish. And then at that point in time, had merged with a company called Eisenman Property Management, which is no longer available as well um, mm-hmm. <laughs> around, um, and had brought my units from Auburn, basically my book, and merged it with them. So I was managed my properties, getting new properties from Fort Wayne, because that kind of got me into the Fort Wayne market. I wasn't really managing you know, properties here at that point. Um, and then did that for, I think, two years, I think 2015-ish. 
I think 2015-ish was about when I stepped away and was kind of broke off again and was doing my own thing, not really managing properties at that point, but uh, at that point was approached by uh, Sarah and Ed Arevalo, who were was at that company with me, and I'd always had a really, really good relationship with them, well, mostly Sarah. I didn't really know Ed at that point. Um, but sat down with them, and, you know, they're like, they needed me because of my license, and um, because Sarah at that point hadn't gotten to the point where she'd passed the real estate license and done all that, so they needed me. And it worked out good for me, too, because they were, I mean, Sarah's, I mean, there's a lot of property managers in Fort Wayne. I have no, almost all of them. I have no, nothing to say bad about any of them. Well, there's a few of them that I don't really <laughs> yeah, like. Nothing bad to say. Oh, <laughs> no, I'd say about, about 75% of them. I have nothing bad to say about them. But I, as far as property management goes, I mean, I don't know anybody that does it better. I mean, she was managing, you know, five or 600 units at one point in time by herself at Eisenman and, you know, I, I don't think anybody tell you that sh that she doesn't know how to do her job. So I knew that, you know, when I sat down with her, I was like, this is not like I've tried this. I've been doing it since 2011. You know, I've handled everything, the maintenance, the all, you know, I've done it start to finish. I've done it. And I was like, this is not what I enjoy doing. Like I enjoy, I enjoy going out, meeting people. I enjoy going out and getting deals. I, I, I'll bring owners in. Like I like meeting with people and like, talking with them and, and knowing their story. But from that point forward, like the day-to-day, -day, the data entry, the collecting rents, all that stuff, not my bag. Mm -hmm. So I knew that she was really good at it. And I was like, if this is what we're going to do, like, I'm not going to do Like, it's going to be your baby. Take it and roll. And she did. And they, I mean, they've grown exponentially. So that's kind of how I got into that. And then as far as stepping away from that, really, I mean, it just was, it, it just was the right thing to do. I mean, I'm a firm believer in that. And I was, you know, I've always said that, like, I don't know, doing the right thing. So, like, I was part owner in that. But I was, like, I felt like for what I was providing as far as value to that to that partnership or whatever, it was, like, you know, I brought in some owners, whatever. Um, but I wasn't handling the day-to-day. -day. I wasn't dealing with the pissed-off tenants and the you know, and the people that weren't paying, I wasn't going to the evictions. I wasn't doing anything of that. So she was doing like 95, you know, hundred percent of the work. It's like, you deserve 95 or hundred percent of the, you know, of, of this. So, um, that was my decision to kind of step away from that. But obviously, you know, they still manage my properties. So, um, you know, they do great. I get an email once in a while. Hey, you know, we got a tree that needs cut or whatever. And okay, go do it. But, that's, you know, that's about it. And that's really from the extent of what I look as at investments. When it comes down to it, that's kind of like, I don't want to be super, super involved. If I have to get in involved in it, I think that like my highest and best use as far as time is not, is not dealing with that. It's yeah. letting somebody else that's a lot better, a lot better at doing that. And that's their passion and that's what they're good at. And I'll, putting them in a position to just say, do it. Yep. Did Did you know that he was with Eisman? No, I did not know that either. That's yeah. crazy. Yep. And then, uh, uh, so when AG started, was Sarah involved from the beginning? Then yes. Oh, I did not know that yeah, either. Yeah, she she got yeah. her start with Eisman. Yeah, yeah I knew that like she was with that. 
man, she'd been there. I don't know. I, I, I'm probably going to butcher the year, but I know she had been there like several, several year, years before I even was there. Yep. And I so, knew, yeah, I knew she was with Eisman. I didn't realize that she was with you from the beginning. Yeah, we don't want to get anybody in trouble. I'll tell you the story after. <laughs> no, she wasn't with. She was with Eisenman. I joined Eisenman, and she yeah. was already there. Right. Yeah, and then from there, she was like, "This ain't, isn't working." You know, I want to separate and do my own thing and be able to grow something for me. You know. Yep. And what year was that? I think it was like 2015. Okay. Wow. Or 2000. No, no, no. 2017. Okay. 2015 is when I left. 2017 is when. When, when we got the ball rolling with that. Wow. Yeah. I, was, I was like, I didn't know it's been around that long. Yeah, like it's crazy. Seasons, it's crazy yeah. to even think about it. I mean, I didn't even realize it's been, you know, three or four years. Wow. Yeah. How many uh, properties do you have? I was just looking at one commercial property. It's on Pennsylvania. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. That thing is huge. Yes. So properties-wise, what do you got? How many you got? <laughs> I, it's, a fluctuate, it's, it's a fluctuating number, obviously, because I buy and sell, but mostly... Most of the ones that I have, actually, I've honestly, with the market that we're in right now, and obviously you guys are well aware of it, it's just like there's stupid pricing out here. So right now what I'm doing is as they become vacant, the ones that I've been holding for a few years now, like I'm looking to move them. And it's just not from the standpoint of that I like I want to get down to zero, but if someone came in and offered me enough money, I'd sell them all right now. Like I'm not tied to any of them. And from the standpoint of like like Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, you know, I'm the owner of record, but I, I actually have that one sold on land contract. I've got quite a few that I've sold on land contract to, you know, like close, like that's sold to my, uh, my contract, the contractor that I use a lot and has done a lot of work over the years needed a space. Yeah. That's a big space. It's, oh, fi- yeah. it's 15,000 square feet. Yep. I was oh looking at that. Gosh. It's like a yep. huge, it's like, yeah. you know, the, the area where we were, where, uh, we ended up selling to that media company with the wire. Yep. Well, it's like in that area, and yeah, it's it was 03, yep. ginormous. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's huge. It used to be a bread factory. We're back we're, in the day. Wow, we're trying to lock one up on Pennsylvania right now. We were just talking to her right before you got here, yeah. actually. But I think I got. I think I bought that for like a hundred grand or something like that. And I've, you know, I've sold it out on contract for well over two and a half times that. Yeah, it was seventy five thousand. You got it for. Oh, 75. There you go. <laughs> so you couldn't remember what I just So now that we're that. friends now, we get to buy stuff on the <laughs> contract, right? <laughs> hey, if I get a if I get a good enough deal, and really at the end of the day, it's it's like for me, like I said, the land contract the reason I'm doing land contracts on some of these, like mostly commercial and stuff like that, is that I don't want the headache. I don't want to lease it. I you know, Sarah and Ed do a lot of my residential and stuff like that, but like when it comes to like the commercial and stuff like that, like I'd rather Find the person that, that that fits for, let sell it to them, let them deal with everything from that point forward and just make them, you know that, make, make them pay me and then it works, yep. you know, it works for everybody. So that reminds me of a question. What did you sell the glass shop for? How much did you end up selling that? It's on land contract too. Yeah. Um I think fifty or sixty okay. on land contract. That guy actually bought has bought several property has well. He bought two from me on land contract. One of them sold, so he sold, and I got paid off. And then he's got the glass. He's yep. got the glass. That was a good deal. 
Yeah, dude, we were, well, we, so we'll tell you a quick story about that one. So we had this guy that uh, called us like a week before his redemption period um, for a tax sale. He was going to lose it. Yeah. And so uh, this thing was, it was rough too. It was full of stuff. And then, uh, so we gave him another couple weeks afterwards too, but then we uh, decided to wholesale it over to Adam. And so this guy's like blowing me up, asking if he can get in there and all this other stuff. And then he wanted an extra couple of days. But anyway, we helped him get some money uh, at closing, which was cool. And he got access to it because he was going to lose access to it because his redemption period was up and there's some stuff that he wanted to get in there. So we really felt like we helped this guy out, but we had like a week to get it done. And then we didn't have the money at that time to close it. So we called, uh, Adam, we're like, Hey Adam, uh, you want this thing? And dude, I remember, uh, I was at like dinner and I'm just like freaking out because Adam wasn't getting back to me like within like a minute. So, <laughs> so I was like, uh, uh, are we good? Are we good? And then, uh, yeah, um, Adam ended up buying it. And yep. then uh, the next day, ended up buying it and selling on land contract, made some money on it. So yep. I think we made like 2000 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't anything and crazy. I'm, but I'm land contracting that. I don't even know what the land contract unpaid principal balance is, but it's like I get 500 bucks a month. Yep. He pays all the taxes. He does Ever. everything. And it's like. Hey, six grand a year for a, you know, $20,000. Yep. I mean, it's not all net, but still. Yeah. 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 So the question that I have on that specific deal, and then maybe viewers have the same thing. When you sell someone a land contract, because something that I was concerned with was there was uh, city liens and code liens against it. So if you sell it on land contract, it's under your name. And then he didn't fix it up for a while. I was like, dude, is he going to do the roof and all this other stuff that they were like demanding that he does? Does that go on you? And like, and if he continues not paid or what happens in that so, situation? So basically if there's like neighborhood code or anything like that, if the, if the, uh, at the time that it's that, that the title transfers at closing, you basically have the right to go into the neighborhood code and start the whole process over again. So you basically say, I'm the new owner. I know that this has some code issues, but we're going to, um, we're going to do X, Y, Z or create a work plan or basically tell them because at the point that it transfers title, um, the next hearing that they would have anyways, that process basically starts over from, from grounds. Even though they have an open case, it basically has to start back at scratch at day one just because there's a new owner. So you got you automatically got more time mm -hmm. and he got more time. Yep. Okay. He's actually still – he. I, I don't know if he just brought it to code. I know that we had gotten some code things and I just – I think he, he finally got everything brought to code on that. Yeah. It's been what, two that's, years. Yeah, that's something year that would stress to code out because I see, I still see that guy getting stuff, and it's in your name because I look at these mm -hmm. like we yeah, market yeah, yeah. to those. I still see you getting freaking code violation things all the freaking time. Like yep. Adam has a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I'd rather buy them that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather buy them that way and have them have the code violations because obviously that's a uh, you know weakness point for a lot of people, and it's just. I don't know. I, I have a love hate relationship with them. Obviously it's good for getting deals, but it's also, it's like you're for me, it's like they're almost taking advantage of the most, you know, vulnerable per people Correct. in this. Like once you give people a laundry list of things that they need to fix, it's like, well, these people have been living here for the last 60 years and they're on social security. How do you yep. expect them to be able to pay a con number one, especially if it's like a roof or something like that, they're not going to let, freaking granny get up on the right. roof and do her thing you're gonna have to 
pay somebody yep. and it's going to be expensive. What do, yep. What do you expect or, you know, what do you expect Granny Smith to be able to do it in 60 days? You know, it's like, yep. come on, like a little bit of common sense would, would go a long way with that, but that's not what it's yep. usually a, about. A lot of times I call and negotiate liens for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to call the city code and they do not negotiate. Cause I was trying to negotiate for a seller because we are buying their property. They haven't paid their city code liens in like uh, years. And now they're so far behind because they just find the crap out of you that she's now upside down. I'm like, how does this help anybody? The house is not going to be brought to code ever now because she doesn't have the money for it. And she can't do anything about it because now she can't sell her property because you have so much liens on it that she can't sell it for what it's worth. So how does anybody ever win in this scenario ever? Yep. And I'm like, let's just take a little bit less, we will bring it to code and we'll get it fixed. And they wouldn't do it. Yep. And I'm like, this this makes no sense, actually. I was like, that I don't get it. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, if, you, if you ever get a city code violation, make sure that you definitely go to the meetings and then give them the biggest sob story that you can think of yep. and ask them for the longest extension that you can think yep. of. Just sit there and negotiate with them. You know, like if you tell them, like, it's going to take me at least a year to get this done, they'll be like, you have three months. Be like, can I have six, please? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then even if you got absolutely nothing done in the six months, you could still come back and be like, ah, I had, I had more misfortunes. Ran out of money. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. They'll they'll work with you. Versus if you don't come to the meetings, they it's almost like they you. stamp yep. you. Like they freaking. They're like, yep. you need to come to the meetings, or we're gonna hurt yeah. you. And the meetings are like during the week, during times that people would work. Yep. I mean, it's like so again, like, oh, if Johnny homeowner, oh, you want me to miss work to come to this meeting. And then on top of that, you're going to make me fix thousands of like thousands. Yep. And you, on top of that, if there's another hundred people in there, you wait for an hour to even get up there in front of the person to do your 10 minute little spiel and, and get out of there. So it's just, I don't know. There's got to be a better way to do it. I don't know that. I mean, it's government. So I don't know that it ever will get any better than what it is. Probably like. We need to bring somebody hopefully. in from neighborhood code. That's what we, we need could. to do. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Yeah. It's like, hey, I got a scenario for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy to me that that's the way that, you know, they like you said, they get to a point where like even if you find it 24 like some of these properties are worth like 5, 10, 15 grand, you find it 24,000, well what's going to happen? That person's not going to be able to pay it, so you're going to wait two more years for it to go to tax sale. Go to tax sale, nobody's going to buy it because it's got more liens than it's worth. Yep. And then what's what happens? You end up with your whole your whole, I guess your whole message or your whole whatever is well we want to make houses better in fort wayne well that house is sitting there for four years now because you find the crap out of it and now it looks even worse than it would it's just going to continue and it's going to end up getting torn down at the end of the day what ends up happening is it'll get on a demo list the city will demolish it and we'll end up with a vacant lot yeah and how long do you think that takes 10 years um, probably not that long, but probably, I mean, by the time you get to a point where it's unsellable, you're probably two years. And then plus, you know, the tax tax sale process is going to be take you by the time it goes to tax sale and gets through the redemption period, you're two years. So, I mean, you're four or five years out before it's even. Yeah. I'll say with this lady is definitely going to be a minimum of 10 years because she's still living there. So like she's going to continue to live there. The fines are going to continue to go up. She's not going to pay them. So it'll be multiple years for this one. Yep. Until they show up or put a condemnation order on the door and remove her by police force. That's ridiculous. Yep. Uh, How many properties do you have about then? Is it like 30, 40 ish? um, I'd say total units. I have probably about 60. Um, but that includes a mobile home park, which I'm selling, hopefully selling by the end of the month, which is probably 
I think 16 of those or 17 of those. And so. then how many, how active are you now? Like how many hours do you think that you spend now? In real estate? Yeah, doing real estate investing activities. Um, I'd say probably, I don't know, probably four to five hours of like deal search and all that on any given week, like specifically like sending mailers, um, you know, reaching out to people, doing getting, getting closing set up and all that stuff's probably four to five hours. I mean, I could devote a whole lot more time to it, but I've actually got a guy who I've been, I guess, grooming to be able to, you know, similar to what you've got is to be able to take a lot of that, that I, you know, the busy work of doing all that stuff and finding the leads and creating the list and all that stuff is just super, super time consuming. And so getting to a point where I can hand that off and let that be his, you know, 20, 30, 40 hour a week job. And then me just doing what I enjoy doing, which is negotiating deals to get properties under contract and selling them. So yep. how long, how long have you had that person? Is it a kid or how old is no, he? No, uh, he's 40 ish. Okay. Um, his name's Rick Holder. I don't know. I if think that, I've heard that name. He used to be at Keller. Okay. Back in the day, back, back in the day. Um, but he's a realtor. Uh, has his realtor's license. He doesn't really do a whole lot with it. I don't really do a whole lot with not, mine. Not an actual murderer. Uh, just a, <laughs> not a really, a really you know, good closer. But he, uh, you know, he's been huge in, in helping me, um, I guess, scale and do a lot of things that like I didn't even like know that I needed to do as far as like, you know, set up tech wise, having awesome office set up systems like you know, I'm a fly by the seat type of person. So, uh, you know, deep, having somebody that's a little bit more detail oriented is, is huge. Yep. So. What marketing techniques work best for you? Honestly, for me, at least to this point has been the letters. I mean, I send out, it's not generic. It's like I've crafted my letter over several years now and I still continue to tweak it on a most you know, six month to a year basis, just because I don't want it to be because of the market that we go towards. I don't want it, them to get the same letter again and again. So I try to at least vary it a little bit because I'm not going to scrub a list. I'm just not. So if I'm targeting neighborhood code or probate or whatever it is, I don't want it to be as I, I don't ever want to come off scammy or spammy not scammy but oh i don't want to call come off either, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but you know as investors i'm sure you guys get it too it's like what did i get in the mail today oh a postcard oh a letter from you know dakota <laughs> dakota and tody you know it's like i'm i'm cool with it because obviously i do the same thing but it's like i don't want to get to the point where like my you know my reputation or the, or the people that, you know, you're always going to get the pissed off people that call you in or, you know, I record oh, yeah. them, but I don't want to be that person that like, at least if they're getting a letter from me, they know that I took the time to like specifically send you a letter, sign it, send you a hand signed uh, envelope and all that stuff. Like it's just a little bit more personal touch. It costs me more and takes more time, but it's just at the end of the day, I didn't want to be end up, you know, you see all the programs, everything out there. It's always, you know, spray and pray, which I mean, I'm, I do it. I'm sure you guys do it too, but it's just, I didn't want, I didn't want mine to be like everybody else's. How much do you think you spend a month on letters and how, how many letters do you send? 
It really varies, but I think last year I think I was paying. I think I probably did. I, I probably did somewhere oh between seventy five hundred and ten thousand letters for the year. For the year, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, this would be a good talking point for us to discuss. You talked about our portfolio. You were like, I don't know. I, I'm, I just own a lot of mine cash. Like I, I just want most of my portfolio to be cash. I don't really leverage like you guys do. Dakota and I are fully leveraged. Well, for the most part, there's like a 60, couple properties, 65 to 70%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a, a, oh, even a few like properties off, that we right? have paid off, uh, but not very many. Um, why why own your properties cash i don't know that i i mean i i guess i've kind of i flipped a little bit on that like i i i would say that some of them i own free and clear i've actually taken loans on quite a few of mine and do like most of my most of my flipping or i guess flipping it's more wholesaling because obviously i don't really I, I don't like to go in and spend three months flipping a property to get you know 20 or 40 grand mm-hmm. um but I don't necessarily, I don't see debt as a bad thing. You know, some people, everybody's going to have their, their own opinion on this, but, um, I'd rather, you know, your infant, your highest returns are going to be using other people's money. So, um, whether that be the bank or private investors or whatever it may be. So for me, it's just a standpoint of being able to weather because we are, I mean, you look at cycles, there's eventually going to be a downturn that happens. It's not necessarily being over leveraged, just being in a position that your properties would cash flow regardless if you took a 20 or 30, you know, Jay talk, Jay always talk, talks about, you know, being able to weather the storm, you know, and what, what, what's a storm, I guess, you know, what would happen if you had a reduction in, you know, 10, 20, 30% of what your current income is versus, you know, moving forward and could you survive that? And I think stress testing that and doing worst case scenario, if you can, you know, if you can do that and still be 70, 80, 90%, 100% leverage, then who cares? I mean, to me, I don't see, like I said, I don't see debt as a bad thing. And I'd rather have a boatload of cash than, you know, than a bunch of properties free and clear because they're all, all you know, you may be paper rich, but if everything's locked in your property, the only way to make that liquid is to sell it. So, um, but I think it's good to have, you know, for me, I, I'd want going into this, whenever it happens, this downturn, I want to have as much cash as I have, uh, as I can have. So I was looking at, uh, your business, Mid America salt, and it looks like it's from like somebody that maybe you went to high school with or like yeah. grew up with or like that that's, sort of thing. That's actually, uh, I'm actually not there anymore. So, okay. uh, but you I, sell salt. I do sell salt. So it was a guy that I went to high school with and that whole scenario didn't end up well we'll just is that with michael no that's with uh andrew teeley is the guy that owns mid-american salt him and his dad but that didn't end well and so i started uh well i didn't start mike started uh, a company called infinite resources which is a salt company um and purchased a property up in ligonier indiana which is bagging ice melt and uh, we actually just shipped our first full retail load yesterday or actually delivered this morning Wow! so to, to louisville kentucky so um yeah so so you that, just did your first one first well we do bulk we sell bulk salt um, oh okay but i was, I was that's like, holy what, crap how have you survived that's what that's what that's what had been do what we had been doing up until so again it's like 
it's something that we looked into getting into was bagging, you know, cause that's your highest margin, you know, creating a retail product and selling it. And as luck would have it, like, I think it, I think it was during COVID or a little pre COVID or whatever the situation was that this opportunity presented itself. John um, Adams from, I think it's BND. I think he's with BND um, had the listing uh, for this property up in Ligonier and it was like 25 or 19 acres, th- almost 30,000 square feet of buildings and, uh, you know, had a bunch, like probably 150 to $200,000 worth of equipment in it. Jeez. And it was like something that we were already like, this would be something that we'd really, really like, this is like long-term, like what we'd like to be able to have or do. And it literally just like fell in our laps and it was like, Man, and for the price that they're asking and what we got it for, it was just it was just a killer deal. And Nobody makes any money selling salt, though, man. <laughs> there's no money in salt. It depends. If it doesn't snow, there's no money in salt. <laughs> was it was that a factory that you made? Was it already built for salt? It, it was not built for salt, so we had to like that was a obviously with COVID and everything pushed it out, and we you know had to retrofit everything because it actually previously was a uh, pellet manufacturing facility. So, so they, similar? They made uh, wood pellets that would go in your wood-burning stoves. Mm. So we had to, the bagger itself, we only had to, like, make some changes to the bagger um, as far as, like, shoots and all that and weighing and all that stuff. But we got rid of a lot of stuff that they had that would not have lent itself to what we were trying to do. Um, so piecemeal it together and then it's really just, you know, trial and error, getting stuff together and making it happen. So that's been a, that's been a, uh, ongoing, um, you know, thing that we're, you know, pushing towards pushing forward. But, uh, you know, we finally, like we were in a group text this morning and it's like, finally got our first full load out, you know retail wise so we had like a test and trial runs and all that stuff and had our test bags we actually still have some that we could sell so if uh we need some some salt yeah we actually do need some salt for like this and then our airbnbs and stuff like that so do you guys have to do all that well we are paying my actually my uncle to do it all but yeah we're gonna do it all like just like go and get all of our you know the office and then the airbnbs yeah not that long to do and yeah yeah yeah, it's not gonna be that much money, but yeah, we definitely need some salt. Yep. What is uh what's the profit margin difference between like bulk and then retail? Oh, I mean it's absolute like that's the main reason that we decided that we needed to get into the bag. Does this the margin difference is just astronomical. So like with bulk, there's just so many players and so many there's so much competition to make so little profit. Uh that you know, with bulk it's like a it's like a it's a necessary evil because a lot of customers want to be able to buy, I want to buy my bulk from you. I want to be able to buy my bag for, I want to buy everything from one person. So I don't have to have four different vendors for four different things. Yep. Um, so it's like kind of like a loss at this point, it's almost like a loss leader. Like we'll sell you your bulk, but we want your bag business so that, you know, you can sell them your, your low dollar margin or whatever, no margin to be able to make, you yep. know, $50 a ton, $60 a ton on, on the bag product. So, so way big difference. Oh, huge astronomical. Obviously there's more labor that goes into it, but the, the numbers are just, it it's crazy. If you could put everything in a bag, you'd be a billionaire. You know? Wow. <laughs> wow. But you'd have to have, you know, Lowe's and Menards and Home Depot's and all this stuff like that to be able to do that. Cause that's 
Volume, obviously, is a huge thing. Volume. Is that, the, is that the goal? Yeah, I think the, at the end of the day, the goal is to be able to get in some box stores. Um, get in Shark Tank. Yeah, we're trying to get, uh, you know, trying to get this first season through, get get our feet wet, learn everything, and then um, I think next year will be our, um, will be our push towards getting into you know the do it best and uh, you know Ace Hardwares and your you know Menards and Lowe's of the world. See what sticks. Wow. So, uh, you've got uh, two little boys. Yep. And a wife. Yep. Um, what does your family life look like? How do you manage to get things done business-wise and still spend time with your family? Yep. Um, what's your relationship with your family look like? Yeah. So we actually talked, again, this is something that we discussed last night, is is proper, you know, work-life balance and, and what that looks like. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can make the most money in the world. And, uh, you know, if you sacrifice your family, it's, you know, it's really not worth it. So right now it's like it's absolutely crazy. I mean, because I've got <laughs> two under three. Um, you know, I got my three-year-old Eli and my one-year-old uh, Emmett, and uh, you know, right now it's me go to work in the mornings, and come home, be with the kids for. My wife then goes into work for usually two hours. Uh, she's a personal trainer at Anytime Fitness, and I stay with the kids until she gets off. Then we're both home together, have dinner um, till the boys go to bed, and then you know we've got that you know one to two hour window to where we have, you know, a little bit of time of the week. And then on the weekends, it's just family time and being able to spend together, but um, still working on that per that perfect, you know, work, uh, work life balance. But uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we talked about this last night is that it's just, if you have to give up some profit or whatever, from a work standpoint, it's so much more, even relationships, not even family, like friends, you know, I've had to really in our next month's goal, um, actually, I guess, lesson that we have to like work on and, and figure out is what are everybody, you know, at the end of the year, especially coming up on the end of the year, you're going to have your new year's resolutions and so much of it, you know, with everybody is, you know, what's your, what's your, you know, business, what's your, you know, it's like for us, what we challenged everybody to do is what is your, you know, what is your life your life and family goals for the next 12, 12 months. And what does that look like? Like, what do you want to do with your family? What do you, you know, you want to go on vacations. You want to devote so much time. Do you want to take a kid to a ball game? Whatever that looks like, because I think at the end of the day, we can all get caught up in, you know, making the most money, which we all, I mean, we all need to make money, no doubt about that, but no amount of money is worth sacrificing a, a relationship with your, you know, your kids or your wife or, or whoever, significant other, best friends. Like I've been, I, my wife gets on me all the time about it because at the end of the week, it's like, I'll have buddies that'll reach out to me on like Friday, Saturday and be like, Hey, you want to come over or, you know, go grab a beer or just like, just hang out. And a lot of times, at least up, I actually went out with them last Friday. So we went out, had a good night last Friday, but it's like a lot of times I've just been like, nah, I I really just want to sit at home and, and do nothing and have like no responsibility and nobody that wants something from me or, or any of that. Because I mean, it's fun to do that. What we've committed to is doing that like once a month with friends and family. Um, because it's just, it is like, once you start having family and friends and girlfriends and or whoever, it's just like nieces and nephews' birthdays and and Christmas and Thanksgiving and all this, and it's just like 
there's always something going on just outside of work. And so it's balancing that. And I, I'm not the greatest at that. And I, that's something that I've got on my, you know, my resolutions for 2022 is, is to, to get a better balance on that. Uh, with your wife, um, what is your relationship with her look, look like? Like, are you on fire? Are you like, uh, you're like, I, I have respect for you and I love you and I appreciate you. And how did you know that she was the one? I'd say, you know, how we met was at the gym. We actually, it was right down the road here at, at Athletes for or With Purpose, AWP at the time. I don't think it's any longer um, around. Um, but at that point in time, you know, I'd just gotten out of a relationship or like newly, like within a few months. And so, you know, I was at that point, I think I was 20. No, it's been longer than that. I was like 30. I was like 30 years old, 30-ish. And I was like, you know, that's what I was looking for. I wanted a family. I got, my parents had me and my sister at 30. And I was like, that's what I want. I want a family. Like that's, I'd, going to the bars at that point in time wasn't really like something that, like I'd go to the bars, but it's not like I was going there to meet somebody. You're not going to meet more than likely. I mean, it could happen, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, you're probably not going to meet, you know, the best person if you're inebriated and she's inebriated and, and, you know, making that connection. But, uh, for me, it was just that. And it, again, it's like, I've said it now three times. It's really just like those people just right time, right, right situation. It's like, I didn't know her and we met at, at the gym and, um, both enjoyed doing that. Um, she still obviously does it a lot more than I do. <laughs> she became a trainer. And at that point in time, she was actually a physical therapy assistant at Parkview. And, you know, when we first started dating, she was just, I hate my job. I, you know, I don't like this. I enjoy the people. I don't enjoy what they're like mandating me to do or like trying to make us do things that I do not think are like ethical. And at that point in time, like she was just coming home and she was not happy. And I was like, you need to do what makes you happy. And, you know, at that point in time, obviously, you know, she was already passionate about the gym. And so it kind of had pushed her towards, towards that direction. And, uh, she ended up getting, uh, certified to become a, a trainer. And she's been at any time now, I don't know, five years, maybe probably five years, um, at Georgetown and she enjoys it. As far as our relationship goes, I mean, I think at this point in time, especially with our lives the way they are, it's like it's just so hectic because we've got two kids. Um, they both go to school. Uh, Eli goes three three days a week. Emmett goes two. And so she trains in the mornings uh, two days a week and trains every single evening. And so right now it's just a situation where, like, we just are on the same page as far as what our lives look like and have to be okay that that's what they are at this point. Because, you know, the, once the kids are old enough to go to school a full day and all that stuff, obviously it frees up a little bit of time and schedule like that. But right now it's just like we've got a hundred, you know, Monday mornings is my morning to get the boy. She's already at work when they're, they're getting up. So it's getting two, two kids under three with fed out the door <laughs> with clothes on to school by eight fifteen, and uh you know they usually don't wake up till like seven thirty. so it's like it's always just like 
our mornings on Mondays are just crazy. It's just run, 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 run. And then same thing on Thursday, like she works Thursday morning. So I'm with the kids until, until, uh, her luckily for us, like we are, we are very, very fortunate. Her, um, my in-laws live literally a hundred yards out my front door. And, uh, so on Thursdays I either take them over to there in the morning at like nine or like this morning they came over to my, our house and just watch them until Megan gets off of uh, work. So it's been very fortunate for us for like the system that we have for like support system for us, because a lot of people don't have that. And I don't know, like, especially with COVID and all this like stuff that's going on now, like, like Emmett, Emmett, uh, had now his class has had somebody in his class has tested positive for COVID, uh, twice now, like once, I don't know if it's the same kid, but once. And then, so when that happens, they shut the thing down for two weeks. So then you have to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my kid for two weeks if I was planning on taking them here? So, you know, struggling with that. And then it just now happened again, like this last week. Wow. Um, and then we have Christmas break. So Emmett won't have been in school for a whole month by the time he's not even going to go back till January. So it's just like navigating that now. And it's like, I don't even know like what, how, how people that work like are expected to be nine to five, five days, like how you even do that in this landscape where they can just shut you off like that and be like, Oh, we had a positive case. So now you, uh, your kid can't come to school. Well, I can't leave my three-year-old at home by themselves. Right. Wow. <laughs> so That is crazy. Yeah. I never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. How old are you again? 36. Okay. Just turned 36. So nice. Yeah. Feel 36 too. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get, uh, just to some ending questions here. Uh, what are some books or resources like the most gifted book the the, the, the book that you've gifted the most resources, uh, if somebody wants to get started in real estate investing, since that was kind of your bread and butter yep. and how you got started, what would you recommend to people? Yeah. So I actually, I was actually approached this week, uh, this last week by a guy I used to play basketball with, um, who was a teacher and he's like, Hey man, I've been really thinking about, you know, getting into this, you know, what you, I've been told that you, this is kind of what you do, like wholesaling, like what would you suggest or some resources that you would suggest? Bigger Pockets is definitely something that I would say like has been a, um, has been a good source for me as far as like, especially when I was starting out, like property management side of things, like the Burr method, you know, there's just so much out there. And so for to have a forum to be able to go to like a Google for real estate investors and be able to just type something in and Google search and find somebody that's already asked a question and look at that. Um, you know, obviously our RIA group, local RIA group here has been a, you know, it's been a good, good source for networking and, and local knowledge. Um, but I would say like, um, as far as book wise, like the book that I've probably told the most people about has been never split the difference. And I think just from a negotiation standpoint, like it's just, a really, really good book. And it's probably the book that I've listened. I don't read books. I listen to them all because I don't, ha I don't have enough time to sit down and uh, nor the intention span to do it. So just being able to put it in my ear and listen to it. Um, but, uh, some of the podcasts that I was listening to before I got started were like, um, the Epic, um, the Epic real estate investing show. I'm trying to see what I sent to him here. Um, Epic real estate investing, um, flip to freedom. Uh, I for, Sean, I forget who 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 that 
Sean, whoever, but those are two podcasts that I, a lot of times when I was first getting started, I basically just went through all their, had their podcasts on like, just cycle through the shows. And like when I was working out or just sitting at home or in the office would just have my AirPods in or whatever, just listening to what they were talking about and then putting that stuff to action. Because I think that's the, that's probably like the biggest problem that I would say like 99.9% of people will, will face in that is like, you can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't choose to act on any of them or do anything about it or like send out mailers or go knock on a door or reach out to somebody and take them to lunch and say, Hey, how do you get started? Or how do I get on the patty? And yeah. <laughs> how do I get on the patty and fi find out how, <laughs> how to find these people? I mean, I think it's just a lot of people think, or, or there's a perception out there that like people aren't willing to help. But I think that there, there are those people, but it's like, it's such, and I know, I know you guys aren't like that. It's such a scarcity mindset. And it's like, we talked again, this is something that we talked about last night in our group is that like you could give a hundred people something and one person is going to act on that. Like, so to be scared that, you know, you're competing, you're creating competitors or whatever it is. It's like, well, to be honest, like they're of the people that say like they want to do what, what we do in real estate there's really only a handful of people that are actually probably going to honestly take enough action to do it and consistently do it to where they're actually getting results. Otherwise they're, you know, they may start on fire and then it's going to fizzle out and you know, they're going to go back to doing what they were doing. Yep. So that makes so, me a quick question. Then uh, what did you think about us whenever we first reached out to you? Did you think we were going to be one of those guys that are like, dude, these guys are talking, but then like, I don't think they're actually going to do anything. Uh, to be honest, yeah, when we first start, when we met it, you know, the thing I would say, though, is like you guys were, you know, even from that first deal that you guys talked about, like you guys were persistent, persistent. Crap. you were <laughs> persistent about it and you wanted to learn how to do it. So, you know, I honestly I didn't know how how big you guys would scale and, and that you would get to the point that you are today. But it doesn't really surprise me because you were asking the right questions. You were like and you were willing to step out there and be like. Hey, I don't know how to do this. Would you mind to do mind to like show me how to do this? And I think a lot of people like you like I said, they're just scared. They're or they don't lend themselves to that to be able to open themselves up. Somebody's may say no, you know, but like Colin Young, like if I get that guy a uh, if I get that guy a coffee, he'll sit there and talk talk my ear off for however long I want to talk to him. Yep. And he's always been that way. Mike Anderson. I mean, take the guy to sushi and he'll tell you his whole life story. Yep. It's so like, there's plenty of people in the group that are willing to do it. It's going to cost you probably lunch and or coffee. But like, if you really truly do want to do something, ask some, I mean, ask, just yep. ask. People are going to say yes. Yep. I mean, yep. So. What is your superpower? I think my I think my superpower is obviously I think talking to people. Um, I really enjoy that, and I think that's my you know I just enjoy people in general. So like being around people for the most part, the right mm -hmm. people, the right people, not the Karens of the world, but <laughs> you know the right people and the people that have the same similar interest as me is like huge. So I think you know your circle, your circle is huge, and I know you guys are you know big on your circle and. Um, yeah, when we get when we get into that mastermind you were just talking hey, about. Hey, yeah, there you go. There you go. 
it's, it's by invitation only. Yeah, <laughs> and it's once a month. I mean, we get together and we just basically like what's going on. And it's it's been a really really good group focus sounding board for us because at this point we haven't changed like our our members in a while. So we're actually getting to things that like don't even involve business at this mm -hmm. point. Like that's why we talked about life. Like, and that's our goals for this next month is like has nothing to do with anything with our real estate or where we are in our lives with it in regards to that. It's actually getting to the point where you're like sitting down with somebody or even having just a group of people, friends or family that you can be like, you know what? I'm really, really struggling with this right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm yelling at my wife or I'm <laughs> kicking the dog or, you know, I'm stressed out of my gourd. I'm waking up at two o'clock in the morning and all I'm thinking about is work. Like, yep. What can I do to do this? And just having that sounding board to be able to, bounce it off people, take their, you know, take their honest advice and be willing to like maybe put some of those things in action. So, uh, 60 years from now, you're on your deathbed and you have one last message that you can deliver. It's going to be your legacy. Uh, what do you think people need to hear? What's your message to the world? Wow. That's quite a question. I'd say, I mean, take care of people first. I mean, if you, if you're honestly a giver, and not looking to get so much in a, and I'm saying this yesterday, not to like toot my own horn, but like I walked into, like, it just reminds me of this. Like I walked into before our meeting last night and walked into um, Chipotle and there's this family in front of me that like, I got, I got there. They were the only family that was in front of me. They're like, Hey, you can go. And I was like, Oh, I'm not in a hurry. Like waited for, waiting for them. They ordered and I walked, actually walked in front of them and paid for their food. And they were like, Wow. I mean, it was like 20 bucks, but I was like, they're like, you didn't have to do that. I was like, the fact that you were willing to just let some stranger go in front of you, I was like, Merry Christmas. Like just doing little things like that, just, you know, to better the world, to, you know, make the next generation better. Like that's the biggest thing for my family is like my legacy. I think my legacy is my kids. Like I want my kids to just be great people. And I think my par my parents gave that to me. You know, my dad would give you the shirt off his back. My mom would give you the shirt off her back. And I think it's just if you love people, even the bad, even the bad ones that you shouldn't love, you know, I think that just rubs off. And I think that affects more people. And I think we just as a society, we need more of that right now because it's the way it's going is not is not a is not a society I want to live in 20 years, 60 years from now. Like I'm not if it continues going the way it's going right now. Man, I'm moving somewhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, what final thoughts do you want to share with our viewers? Man, you come to with the hard hitters here at the <laughs> with the, none of the yes, no questions here. No, I just say, like, if, if you really, I mean, for your viewers, I would say, like, if you really have been on the fence or whether it comes to real estate, life, like, I've been watching, like, I may not like reach out on Facebook or do, do anything like that, but like I watch what you guys are doing. I watch, you know, um, your face or your stories on Facebook or whatever and see the group that you're surrounding yourself with and the things that you're doing personally, professionally, all that. And I think it's just from the viewer standpoint, if you're set stuck in a rut or stuck, you know, professionally, personally, like be willing to like, ex you know, put yourself out there, reach out to somebody that maybe, you know, the big thing is like, well, this person's doing 
here and I'm here. Like, what do I have to offer? And I don't really think, I don't see it as that. I, I really think that there are so many good people out there that if you honestly just like, hey, I'm really struggling with this and you're, you know, you're a per- person that I look up to, that number one, they would see that as like, man, that's really cool that they like, most people don't even like, I don't think about that. I'm sure you guys don't think about that, but just being able, able to look up to people or reach out to people and, exp- you know, put yourself out there because so many people won't do that and they'll just stay where they are. And then, you know, five or 10 years, you know, I have this, I have this conversation and I don't think, I don't think Rick would be um, upset that I shared this, but like, he's just, you know, he's at, he's at 40, I'm at 36. And he's like, you know, I just, sometimes he gets down on himself. Like, you know, I see what you're doing and I'm sad that, you know, where I'm at is opposed to where you are. And I'm like, honestly, you don't need to look like, that's not the way you need to look at things in your life. You need to look at where, where can I be five years from now? Because you can't change anything that's already right. happened. So you might as well just, and he, he has, it's like you give him something and it's, it's done. So it's like to be able to just let your past go and say, I can't do anything about that. But what I am going to do is take massive action moving forward. And I'm not going to look back at what my last 40 years are. I'm going to look at what my next 20 are going to look like because I'm going to kick ass for the next 20 years. So, Awesome. How can our viewers get a hold of you? Um, reach out. You can reach out to me on Facebook or, you know, Messenger. Um, you can, I mean, you can follow me on, I could say you can follow me on Instagram. Um, but I'm not going to post it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm always available on messenger. If you find, if you find me and shoot me a message on messenger, I'd be happy to t- talk with you or, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to put my cell phone out there because, I'm, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but you can reach out to me on Facebook messenger. Like if you're a brand new investor looking at like a 15 unit, I'm probably not going to respond to <laughs> seller financing or anything, but if you want seller financing, don't co- co- contact me. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good disclaimer. Hey, just because we talked about it doesn't mean he's going to do it. If you listen to what he said, he says he does it for his close friends, contractors. So you got to like get in that circle, yeah, build Yeah. Build up the relationship for a long time first we've been uh we've been building now for a couple years yep. and we still haven't gotten one yet so. <laughs> no you guys have gotten some deals though that i that you you guys were going after the same property and you guys ended up getting them so i mean you yeah. guys you guys have been doing well that is true there's one on i remember one on pontiac that was the only one that i really remember oh and winter winter yeah, because well, oh, three the, one, the one. There was a there was a lady who when I got there, she's like, I thought we already showed you the house, and we were like, no. So she came out and showed us the oh. house, and then afterwards, what I remember, what uh, Mr. Gehrig here made a mistake on was uh, he didn't ask if he could just go back and talk to the lady because they they were like, yeah, yeah, then I'll go back and I'll talk to it was my the mom. Daughter, and, yeah. But, oh yeah, yeah, but, you it was know, the later, yep. Which Dakota's about ready to leave too, and that's like one of the only times that I was like the closer and I was just like can we go back and actually talk to your mom right now and she was like yeah I guess let me call her and so we went and talked to her then and then we drove straight to her house on Lily Dakota got in front of her and was just like listen you're gonna sell this house right now (laughs) (laughs) that is not how I said (laughs) that is actually nothing like what I said but it's a little off yeah I wasn't like hey uh Yeah, yeah. We're putting this under yeah, contract. Yeah. Sign right now. Yeah. Like, hey, 
did Adam take a look at this? Oh yeah, it's ours. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, we appreciate it. It, it, was appreciate fun. it. it was fun, and uh, hopefully you guys learned something. If you did learn something, please post it in the comments below your favorite part. Uh, if there's anything that we can ever help you guys with, let us know. Course is coming out hopefully soon. I know we've uh, been talking about it for a while. Hopefully we'll have it out soon. We're gonna post like, basically we're gonna have all the information that uh, we know about what we've built so far in this thing. And that's why it's taken us so long because we've made a lot, a lot of videos for it. So um, we've got a ton of them already done, but we wanna get more, we wanna get some live calls. We wanna show you guys negotiations, sales, polling lists, marketing, um, everything that we can possibly think of to help you guys be successful. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you guys did enjoy it, please give us a thumbs up, like, comment, subscribe. Share. Share. Boom. That's it. See you guys.